Uh, our gospel lesson this morning is from Matthew 28. It's Matthew's story of the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm going to read Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10 and 16 through 20 for us. You can follow along uh, where it's printed in the order of worship or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just sang those really ancient words that The church has been singing for a long time, calling your son the beloved eternal word. And so what we ask now is really simple, that you would use this word that we have read and heard together to show us that word. The beloved word who is wearing our flesh in power, seated at your right hand, praying for us. Lead us to him, show us his grace, and change us by it. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, I think uh, that the most scared uh, I have ever been in my life, I was about nine uh, or ten years old. I had just uh, taken a bath and got out of the bathtub and wrapped a towel around me. And I was, as uh, as the lukewarm water was spiraling its way down the drain, I was doing all the things that a little boy's parents tell him to do to get ready for bed. I uh, dried my hair, and I combed it, and uh, I brushed my teeth. I'm sure that I did not floss, because what little kid flosses, even when his kids tell him, or his parents tell him to floss? I'm sure I didn't clean out my ears, either. So I got ready for bed, and I grabbed my clothes up under my arm, and I opened the door. And there, uh, just outside of the door, inches from my face, was my mom. <laughs> 
And she had been waiting for that precise moment. And just as it registered to me that there was a human being standing in front of me, she yelled, boo. And this is how I know that it's the most scared that I've ever been in my life. My knees buckled and I fell to the floor like a sack of potatoes. I I was so scared that for a while I could not make a sound. Um, I didn't lose consciousness, but my guess is that I came pretty close to losing consciousness and I had never fallen to the ground from fear before. And it's never happened since. That's how I know that it's probably the most scared I've ever been. But as soon as I got my wits about me, another emotion rushed in just as quickly as the fear had. And that emotion was joy. (laughs) Which on the one hand seems like it's a little bit strange, but on the other hand seems like, you know, of course. That joy rushed in and my mom and I started laughing like hyenas and we laughed for a really, really long time like that. Now I know... I know why my mom was laughing. (laughs) My mom was laughing because she had just scared me to death and watched me fall to the ground. I'm sure it was incredibly satisfying for her. (laughs) But that was not why I was laughing. I was laughing because my long-suffering, hard-working, compassionate, thoughtful, caring, altogether completely responsible mom had just carved out a little time in her day to scare me to death. (laughs) Just because she could. Just because she wanted to. And if my mom, who had never done that to me before, could do that, then I knew there was a lot about this big old world that I probably did not know about. (laughs) The possibilities coming out of that moment were endless for my little boy heart. I remember like it was yesterday. Maybe you have felt that strange mixture of emotions at some point in your life, that strange, that beautiful mixture of fear and great joy too. And I'm telling you that story, of course, because these two emotions mingled together, they are at the very heart of the story that we just read together. Matthew tells us that when the women left the tomb that morning, they ran away in fear and great joy. I mean, fear, of course, we get it. Fear makes a lot of sense to us. Some seriously, seriously strange things are happening that far outstrip their ability to maintain their grip on the situation. So the fear makes sense, but there was also joy with them. There's joy there, and I think that there's joy there because it was dawning on them that the possibilities coming out of that moment were just about endless. I think they ran away with joy because it was dawning on them that they had gotten up that morning in a world that was very different than the one that they had gone to sleep in the night before. And that in that world, maybe things that they never dreamed could change, could change. And they had hope. So I'd love for all of us, no matter where we're coming from on this fine Easter Sunday morning, those of us here who believe, those of us here who don't believe, 
those of us here this morning who aren't sure what we believe, I'd love for all of us together to see if maybe we can find our own place beside those women in the story that we just read together, the fear, the joy, and the hope. So Matthew begins this story by telling us that after the Sabbath toward dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to go see the tomb. And this is a good reminder at this point, if we know this story, that most of the followers, the closest ones that Jesus had, are in complete disarray. I mean, we can go ahead and say it. The men are in complete disarray in this moment. They're off cowering somewhere, fearing for their own skins, caught up in the loss of the future that they thought they had. And no doubt they're trying to work through, trying to do something to deal with the shame that they feel over the fact that they had cut and run on Jesus when things got bad. We'll come back to them, but for now, it's just these beautiful women. Mary Magdalene had watched the crucifixion. She had stood by Jesus at the cross. She had also been the one to see Jesus be buried. So it's no surprise at all that Mary Magdalene is the one who's there. As soon as she can get there, as the sun's light is filtering into the gray of the garden that morning. And even though Matthew doesn't mention it, we know from the other Gospels why she's there. She and the other women are there with spices. To care for Jesus' body in the traditional way that they cared for dead bodies because things had moved too fast on that Friday for them to be able to care for him like they wanted. So they have waited and they have waited in agony and now at the first chance they have, they have come to embody one final act of devotion for Jesus. Those women are there uh, because death had done what death always had done. It had closed a door that could never be opened again. Those women are there that morning because they are frozen in the tragedy of Good Friday. And my guess is that many of us here this morning can relate. We know what that feels like frozen as we are behind the closed doors of our secular age. Culturally, we have largely agreed to shut the door on transcendence in our lives, and we relegate God to things like greeting cards and sitcoms and being cynically tacked on to the end of politicians' speeches. We've let that door be shut. Meanwhile, people like us long. We long for justice. And we long for beauty. And we long for peace. And we long for reconciliation. These things haunt us. We're desperate for those things. At the very least, we hope, we sure hope they exist somewhere. But we see very little of them. Because we have blocked their true source out, hidden behind the doors of a world that for some reason we have agreed together is closed. Well, just the look around our world, just the look around our city, doesn't even need to be a long one or a hard one, just a glance, really. It's enough to tell us that this closed-door project is not working out that well. 
and maybe a moment's introspection will lead us to the same conclusion about our own lives as individuals, too. So we take our place beside these women who never dreamed that morning that closed doors could be open again. Now, I think the next couple sentences in Matthew's story happen sometime before the women arrive, maybe just moments before those women arrive that morning. Behold, Matthew says, there was a great earthquake, and an angel whose appearance was like lightning came and rolled the stone away and sat on top of it. And Matthew can't help it here. He has to pile on the irony. He tells us that the guards, who were, of course, there to guard a dead body, become like dead bodies themselves. It's a nice touch for Matthew. And, of course, it's totally understandable that they would faint out of fear. We learn later that when they come to, they hightail it out of there. So the women, when they arrive, they are surprised. They're surprised at what they see, not least at the sight of this lightning angel that is sitting on top of the stone when they get there. So the angel says to them, don't be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. And then the angel speaks the words that form the scandalous and coherent center of the Christian faith. He is not here. He has risen just like he said. And go and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. In church, just like that, the door opens. The door opens not just into the joy that these women feel that they might get to see Jesus again, the door opens into the fearful joy of a whole new world. <laughs> Doors that they were certain were closed are now thrown wide open. We need to understand the angel isn't just saying Jesus is alive again, although if that is all the angel said, that would be pretty amazing, but that's not the half of it. He's telling them he has risen from the dead. He has punched a hole through death, and he has come out the other side of it. He's, he's telling them, to, to borrow the language from the Old Testament lesson that we heard this morning, that Jesus has swallowed up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He is telling them, Jesus has swallowed up death forever. It is broken and gutted and finished at his feet. The angel is telling those women, cold hearts can beat again. And broken lives can be restored. And sins can be forgiven. And stories of shame can be rewritten into stories of freedom. And enemies. Enemies can be reconciled. And there is now a tangible, red-blooded, real hope for the world to cling to. Justice. Beauty. Reconciliation, peace. Church, these are not fever dreams that we cling to so we can make it through a chaotic world. The angel is saying these are real things. They are true things. They are solid things. Justice and beauty and reconciliation and peace exist. And Jesus means to fully establish them in this world. He will make them happen.
That's what Jesus means when he says later to the disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And the resurrection of Jesus means that our part in the story, the part that we play, the role that we play, is to work alongside Jesus as he establishes these real things on earth as they are established in heaven and to faithfully work at them until he finishes making all things new. Church, believe this because it is absolutely true. Now, do I think that those beautiful women had that all worked out the moment that they heard it? Of course not. (laughs) But I am entirely certain that they knew that the possibilities coming out of that moment were just about endless. They knew that with an unshakable certainty, and that's why they start running away in fear and in great joy. (laughs) Of course, they don't get very far. (laughs) Behold, Matthew says, Jesus met them and said, greetings. (laughs) It's one of my favorite parts of the story. I mean, I think of all the things that Jesus could have said in that moment. Step aside for the victor. All hail the Lamb of God who was slain. And here's what Jesus says. Hi. (laughs) Hello from the other side. (laughs) He greets them as they are to him. He greets them as friends with affection and with love. And I just want to say this is always how Jesus comes to people like us. Just read one of the Gospels through. You'll see him do it again and again. You can pick the shortest one. Just read Mark and you'll see Jesus do this again and again. He enters into our stories. He finds the places where we are. And he speaks the gracious word to us. And it's whatever we need to hear. An invitation. A challenge. A word of comfort. He enters into our stories. There there is never church, there is never any need to get our stuff sorted out for him to come to us. There is never any need to be through all of our big challenges. If I just get through this one thing, then I can kind of get back in line with Jesus. There's never, ever a chance that we have to have all of the answers figured out or that we have to have some kind of spotless moral record for Jesus to come to us. It's kind of the point, actually. He comes for the broken, and he comes for the scared, and he comes for the weak. Jesus is drawn to people with lots of baggage. (laughs) He is drawn to those whose reputations are shot. And yeah, he comes to the ones that look squared away but really aren't. (laughs) He comes to the insufferably, insufferably religious ones, too who front like they have it all together and who are fooling no one. Jesus is really indiscriminate. (laughs) And this may sound like uh, too much for some of you, but please just try it on for size, okay? Part of growing into the humans that we were made to be is listening to Jesus when he comes and not drowning out what he says. Part of growing into the humans that we were made to be in this world is listening to Jesus when he comes and not drowning him out.
Maybe he's moving alongside some of us right now, saying whatever it is we need to hear, inviting us into the life we were made for. I sure hope so. <laughs> Listen to him. So after he says hello, the women lose it, they fall down, and they worship him, which is beautiful, of course, but it's also pretty remarkable, not least because they never did this when Jesus was there before. <laughs> I mean, why would they worship Jesus? The commandments forbade worshiping anyone but God. But in some untraceable part of their hearts, they have started to figure out who Jesus really is. Later on, St. Paul will say it like this in one of his letters. He says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. So the women, they may not have that theology fully articulated, but they definitely know what time it is. And here's what Jesus says to them. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. This is where we get back to the men from the beginning of the story. And this is also, in case we needed it, the very first evidence that we have that the resurrection of Jesus absolutely changes things in this world. This is the first evidence that we have that Easter means something in flesh and in blood in your world and in mine. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus does not say, go tell those gutless cowards I'm coming for them. Jesus does not say, you, you go tell that sorry lot of betrayers and deniers and cowards and fakes and fools to watch their back. No. He said, go tell them their family. Go tell my brothers where to meet me. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to hear that news? <laughs> you're locked up, you're scared to death, you're feeling all kinds of crazy shame and pain, and the women break into that room and they tell you that news. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Wait a minute, he said what? He called us his brothers? In the middle of all this shame, in the middle of all this regret, with the fire of treachery still burning in their hearts, Jesus wants them to know, you are my family. You are my brothers. And the church has always, always called this amazing grace. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus means that failed disciples can be family again. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus means that failed Christians can be family again. They can be forgiven because Jesus has stepped in and he has taken their blame. That's what the cross was all about. He steps in and he takes their blame and he takes their sin and yours and mine, but they are not only forgiven. The resurrection of Jesus means that they have been restored. They have been made into family again. The resurrection of Jesus does things, church. It accomplishes real things in our world. 
And that means that there is hope. There is hope. The galloping fear that undergirds all of the powers that be in our world does not have the last word. (laughs) The corrosive anger that inhabits so many of the conversations in our common life does not have the last word. The violence that disfigures the face of our beautiful city does not have the last word. The racism that carves up our city, that carves up our own hearts, does not have the last word. Because the grace of Jesus that forgives is also the grace of Jesus that remakes and renews and changes things. And that means there's hope. There's hope for all of us here this morning who are thinking about a relationship or a friendship or a marriage that is broken or breaking. There is hope for all of us here this morning who go about our lives with one kid in the back of our heads, always in the back of our heads. We're wondering where they are and how they're doing. That means there's hope for those of us here this morning living under the shadows of our past, pulled down by things that we cannot change, that one thing that we did that we cannot live down, that we cannot distract ourselves from no matter how hard we have tried. The abuse that happened to us that makes us feel like a prisoner every day of our lives. That addiction that feels like another self with her claws in us so deep. There is hope for people like us. There is hope for the bored. There is hope for the cynical. There is hope for the indifferent. Because, church, to people like us, the resurrection of Jesus says, the door is open. It is open. The door is open to the healing, restoring, forgiving, renewing grace of God. The door is open, church, for me, for you, through us, working alongside Jesus for the city, for the world. The door is open for that grace. It is ours to take hold of by faith in the risen Jesus. (laughs) Because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is not a metaphor for rebirth. It is the rebirth. It's roots in bone and blood, as the poet says. The grace that forgives is the grace that renews and remakes things. It is the grace that changes things in our world and in our hearts. And the resurrection of Jesus is the thing that screams into the entire created order, this is true. As Jesus said it, with God, all things are possible. Let me pray for us. Father, do whatever it is that you need to do in us. You know who we are. You know where we are. You know what we're thinking. Do whatever it is that you need to do. Use whatever means you need to to use to help us to see this risen Jesus And to believe that that means the door is open for us to cling to you by faith and receive the grace that not just forgives but changes us and through us changes everything around us. Father, do this for our good and do this for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in the name of the risen Jesus. 
Amen.